definitely. Um, uh, Garrick Lotta from uh, Portland High Standards was telling me that uh, he is dealing with the hop latent viroid, and he thinks he has it eliminated uh, from his facility uh, mm-hmm. after a lot of hard work, and he said a lot of growers are battling that in uh, in in Portland. So. Um, yeah, so uh, so basically, everywhere. so basically, tissue culture is is a good way to get rid of the hop latent viroid. It doesn't transfer over. Uh, it's 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 the one of the best tools available. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, first of all, uh, you know, testing will always be necessary to know whether or not uh, it's present. Okay, um, uh, because it's latent, so you you, you don't necessarily see yeah. it. And frankly, the truth is, is we've probably been, you know, we've probably had this in the crops for 30 years or more. Right. Um, there's no reason, there's no reason it wouldn't be. Um, it's mostly going to be moved on um, on dirty tools, uh, but also for the fact that, um, you know, moms are cloned over and over again. So if that plant, you know, happens to pick it up from a dirty tool and it spreads, you're now, of course, the grower is the one who's spreading it into the whole crop. And we can just do that backwards to fix it. Um, tissue culture it helps fix it in that uh, first of all uh, viroids are not uniform in the plant so even if you have a, a, a plant with viroids every limb every limb that's growing from a little growing point is uh, the, the viroid is always chasing the limb okay same with any other pathogen Maris, the way meristems work is they are the origin new stuff is being made up there and and it's all growing backwards so the viroid has to go cell to cell to cell to try and catch up with it and and incidences of the viroid being in the very base meristem tissue are uh, are are really pretty rare makes sense you know which is why you you see that you, you hear of the process called meristeming um which is only done in tissue culture for the very same reason that we're going to keep taking successively smaller pieces and putting them into culture uh because uh, we are outgrowing the viroid. Uh, and here's the story. So uh, viroid is, every limb of the plant uh, is outgrowing viroid. Uh, viroids, like other pathogens, grow in fits and starts. Um, so maybe it's two inches from the tip. Maybe it's two millimeters from the tip. Maybe it's two tenths of a millimeter from the tip. You know, you, you kind of have this, this tug go. It might be four or five inches from the tip. Um, so number one is when we take a piece off of the plant, um, the, the smaller the better, and of course we're using clean technique. Bleach is the only thing that'll do it. Alcohol does not kill viroids, so we want, you know, we we want a good strength of bleach. Uh, I really end up when I'm working in my garden, I'm carrying a, uh, I've got a fanny pack uh, with um, uh, bleachy sponges in it. So I'm just, I stick my hands in the and an apron because you will get that stuff everywhere. Um, but an, an apron, a fanny pack, uh, bleachy sponges. And I'm always sticking my tools in there in my hands. Mm-hmm. And then I touch the plants. So I just keep doing that over and over. That's the best first thing to have. Uh, uh, and then, of course, you cut the piece. I'm going to cl- trim it down to as little as possible. And it itself is going to get a, a, a surface cleaning with the bleach before going to culture. So we we kind of look at it and say, okay, if we got to get a veg table of 100 plants. We're going to take 30 pieces off of it. Um, you know, maybe 15 or 10 of them. Uh, might be viroid free, but done correctly, we haven't cross-contaminated anything. Uh, those go to tubes, those start to become bigger plants. Um, now that we have the habit of cleaning our tools, I'm less concerned about cross-contaminating them again. So 
if you could see it, it's almost like looking, if the veg table could be a checkerboard of positives and negatives next to each other. It's latent, so we don't necessarily see it. Right. But we are, number one, always taking the best of the best. So if there is any effect, we're possibly eliminating it just on best of best selection. But, but lastly, number two is uh, the only way to really know is by, uh, is by PCR testing. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, got, I've had the tools to do all this stuff, but it's really uh, a lengthy manual process because it's RNA. I mean, we're not, we call it an a viroid like it's an organism, but it's not. It's just a 256 string of, uh, a base pair string of RNA. I could make it in a PCR machine um, in uh, uh, less than 45 minutes. You know, just program it in and the machine will make it. Do, 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 just like that. Not like I'd want to. I did that a long time ago in anticipation of where we are now. So, <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. You know, started way down the line. I just, I had to make this thyroid 30 years ago so that I would get this business today. Um, Genius. Just kidding. Of course. Yeah, I know. Evil. <laughs> um, no, no. My thing is I, I want to solve problems for growers. And, uh, and, and what, we've, what we're left with really is that uh, uh, to do the selection to make sure you're thyroid free, uh, I even came up with a little protocol that I use with the tissue culture, and that is, um, well, for instance, take a, uh, a you know a one-inch cut or inch and a quarter piece to put into culture, um, but before uh, before culturing it, I'll take the bottom half inch off of that and trim off some of the leaves, and that will be the sample I submit to the viroid testing company. So this is a little different than the protocols they give you. Um, and this is another one of the ways I'm, I'm really trying to change the industry because they'll tell you to use big old leaves and roots and so on because you're going to have a heavier biroid load. Great for them because it helps them, uh, you know, tell you the presence of biroid in the garden. Sure. But if they come back with a positive, you still don't have a solution. You know, so growers have to consider, oh, am I going to, am I going to uh, throw away all the, I'm going to throw away that plant. Uh, and now you have to test all of them. What do you do now? And so, you know, you might be like, okay, I'm going to buy Viroid certified free stock. I have to repopulate the garden. This is going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars um, for something that you've actually already been managing. Like I said, the, if you do have the Viroid, um, uh, you, you've already been profitable. We just want to make sure, we, we want to eliminate it from the garden so it doesn't become a problem. Right. And it, so with the, 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 the microclone kits and the tissue ponics, I, I sort of create a little parallel path to regular cloning, um, try to make everything work off the veg plants, build it on turnover. Mm -hmm. Nothing in that bedroom is going to get older than six weeks, maybe eight if we need an extra round of cuts or whatever. But um, it's always leaving. It always goes to flower. It's always replenished. Think skin. You know, what keeps skin healthy? It's, all, it, it's always being slept uh, off and replaced. Bark, you know, same deal. Um, that's... Uh, it, that way, when you come back with a positive test or, or a negative test, we know that the cutting it came from, uh, being from that very bottom piece of the cutting, um, everything above that is also viroid free. Right. Because the viroid can't go through that half inch to get to the top. So if it's if it's if it's negative, it's either so the load is so small that it it's unseen in a yeah. very sophisticated PCR machine. I mentioned. You know, remember, this is the exact same machine they're going to use to come up with that whack DNA evidence uh, that you get off of stupid things like cigarette butts. And so you ever watch any of those true crime shows, 
and they're just like, oh, yeah, we got this DNA off of something that they just touched. Mm -hmm. We're doing that with viroids. And so uh, I also would, would like to throw out a shout out to the company Toomey Labs in Colorado, because right now they are definitely doing the very best job uh, for the money uh, of anybody in viroid testing. Uh, and they are accepting material uh, by the protocol I gave um, without a lot of fuss, which yeah. has been pretty nice. Yeah. Is it yeah, expensive to uh, <laughs> test for hoplite and viroid through them or anyone else? It is when you start doing a lot of plants. It's uh, usually 25 bucks a plant with a uh, like $1,000 minimum. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, but that's not bad, considering that also counts. That's the cost of the mail. They're going to send you tubes. Uh, they have to first uh, clean the plant and, and, and refine just the RNA portion of the uh, of the sample so you send in a crude sample you got to digest that and get those parts out so that's going to be a sure. little expensive column uh that's going to cost a few dollars itself uh and then they'll take that mix and put it in the machine and that's where the machine does its work and it's it's fabulous um it will uh uh it, it will put in the um uh the little uh uh complementary um pieces of, uh, of DNA. They're, they're going to turn the RNA and the DNA. They're going to put in complementary pieces that'll find it. And then the PCR machine will make a bunch of it. And it will not only be able to tell you a yes or no on the presence, but it'll quantitatively be able to tell you uh, how much was in the starting sample. So, uh, you know, it's sensitive down to just a few uh, RNA, a few fragments of viroid right. like that for 25 bucks a test. So that's kind of cool. You know, so yeah. I've got users ultimately, ultimately what I got going I recommend is that growers will get the start the tissue ponics, start the, my tissue culture because there's all the other advantages anyway. Uh, you know, to get them off of mom plants, get the hang of it, and then as they feel fit, uh, you know, sending off pieces uh, from either pieces pieces that will go to tissue culture, or sometimes a little larger pieces that might be made as a regular uh, four, five, or six inch tall clone. But the same idea, it's going to be that half inch of base stem, that quarter inch of base stem uh, that's sent in for testing, plus, you know, a couple of leaf tips um, that also come off of that piece. Yeah. Now, I had a question. Way... Oh, go ahead. Sure. Oh, I, I, my question was on uh, the, the uh, cost, I guess, of doing um, tissue culture. Like, I, you know, I'm sure mm -hmm. as, as you scale up, you know, a commercial operation will have a lower you know, um, cost per, uh, clone, but you know, what does it range just so people know? Oh, oh, you got it. Uh, it's, uh, surprisingly really cheap. Um, you know, uh, my out of the box cannabis kit is about 400 bucks. No, it's $300. Uh, and, um, it'll do about 400 plants your first time through, but mostly with tools and vessels and things that you're going to use over and over. Uh, after that, the replacement media, which is really the only thing that you need to replace, uh, comes out to about 10 cents a plant. It's like 9.50 uh, a liter, which will do uh, over 100, 100 new plants. Um, so at 10 cents each, uh, the materials cost yeah. is not that much. No. And so the other thing I work at is trying to keep the space small, the labor small. I, I really have tried to make tissue culture so that it it exists in the grow facility, but it's not a focus. You can walk past your lab space um, most of the week without having to, without having to look in or, or any special concern. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, my uh, the tissue culture is like something you do on Monday or Tuesday 
before lunch, and then you are uh, pretty much free for the week. Nice, nice. Um, and again, there's that whole Columbia example. <laughs> I bought the stuff in a store, <laughs> you know, and was using it two hours later. I bought a clear plastic box, and uh, I, I, I bought the pressure cooker and everything else. Uh, the, the grower brought me a, uh, a pH meter and everything else we did at a, uh, at, at a restaurant table. Well, that's that's proof positive right there that, you know, you don't need a, a NASA facility per se or, you know, a, a HEPA filter necessarily. Um, that's that's really HEPA. Cool. Yes. HEPA. Yes. OK. I, we were missing the HEPA at the restaurant. They were bringing it home to put in that. Um, but we did use a clear plastic storage box as a as a still air hood. So mm -hmm. if you can imagine the box turned on its side. Uh, I, you take the flash, the camera flashlight, and you put it right on top of the box. So now we got a lighted surface, uh, but inside is the tubes we just sterilized with that little gel hardened auger, uh, scalpel forceps, our little plate, um, and a uh, kind of a tall glass full of the plant pieces and the uh, <clears throat> and the chlorine water. Uh, my hands were clean, but that was all I needed to put everything in the tubes. And then I just took everything out of the box, put the lid on, uh, put the lid on it, and now you had a. Uh, a a, a clean, secure storage to move them to the uh, the better location. So I guess uh, my next question is: Were there any other patrons of the restaurant that were like watching you do this uh, propagation and you know forgetting about their date that they're on? <laughs> uh, th we did it during uh, before dinner hours. Uh, oh, okay. Because it was actually my customer owned the owned the restaurant. Oh, right on. The oh, but the staff. Oh hell yeah! So the bartender, the bartenders were out. The serving staff were hanging out. The owners came in and were watching, and even the people in the kitchen came out to see what was up because they were like, "What the hell did you do? We just sent a pot in for them to put on the stove, and then they bring it back out." And they they, they sat and watched all of this. But absolutely, we had I had an audience of you know um, I think as many as eight people uh, at one time, all kind of looking over our shoulders as we're doing this work. But it was funny. I mean, I had first timers. Did I mention we only really had one English speaker, and uh, I used my tourist Spanish uh, and the uh, and Google Translate, but in maybe 12 messages total over the entire process, uh, did we not only get the point across, but they did it well, and they are still doing it now, and today I'm packing and sending them more materials, because the thing that happens is when they get the kit and get started, they order more tubes and media. And that's always the rule. And, and incidentally, this is scalable. So I've got growers uh, who do a thousand clones a day, um, and uh, they do pretty much the exact same principle, but start looking for uh, larger fixed culture rooms with HEPA built in, uh, and um, a little more serious uh, kitchen and sterilizer, such as a you know a larger wall autoclave and uh, industrial um, sink and dishwasher, because dishes do become an issue. Uh, we want to clean all that stuff out and turn it over. Sure. But uh, interesting. And, and larger mixers and dispensers, obviously. But what's funny is, uh, you know, uh, I get to combine, you know, my my history and experience uh, into everything that's in the kit today. And that's always what I've done. I'm, I cross industries. So uh, you kind of asked me before about my history. We didn't even get into the, the, uh, my stuff at the university. And where I discovered tissue culture, or rediscovered it, uh, the the miracle job I had after that, um, and, uh, uh, and and me actually, you know, putting this out to the cannabis industry, 
like 25 years ago when nobody knew about it and just sort of keeping it on the side. Uh-huh. Um, when If we still have time in this podcast, I've got a, a fabulous old tissue culture story. And somewhere or another, we need to tell the old uh, Kurt story. Well, I don't want uh, to sidetrack. I don't want to. I want. We'll do another podcast. Your your listeners got to get be getting um, tired now from their brain uh, uh, <laughs> working so hard. <laughs> well, I, I the think you know, especially it. people you know like myself that have you know been in the industry for you know any number of years. Just kind of hearing these you know old school stories of you know how things were not easy they weren't you know laid out for you on a store shelf you know what do they say necessity (laughs) is the mother of uh, all invention so it's like (laughs) so much so much yeah this is really the goal of of these podcasts is really to to kind of capture these anecdotes and, and stories um, you know, before before they're they're lost, because really, I don't know. I I I'm love not that old. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm not getting any younger. Um, I'm turning. You don't 42. look too bad, Mike. I'm turning 42 uh, myself this year, and God, I I look back and think like, boy, I've I've been growing, you know, cannabis for like I don't know, 15 years or so now, and you know, I think that's a long time. Respectable. But then, it's is but then there's so many others who have so many more decades under their belt uh, compared to me. So, oh. it's it's you, you did a good job. You, I mean, you 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 did you did the task. Um, you used the resources available. You pursued knowledge, right? Uh, you know, which is really how it goes. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask, where did you shop in the valley? Well, where did you buy your stuff? You know, um, so no the, stress. So no stress on Santa Monica. So the 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 main store that I would go to because it was so close we could skateboard to it was um, Foothill Hydroponics. You went to Foothill, Mosin. Mosin, I the, love Foothill. The, the I, and as far as I understand, he he was the first hydro store in the country. And uh, well, he's that, the oldest in the country. Yeah, because he stayed open. Yeah, yeah, his he. He was a character, you know, he was uh, an acquired taste, you know, some days he liked you, other days he didn't. You were spending <laughs> money. Um, but uh, we get to share with your listeners what was absolutely unique about Foothill that is still absolutely unique about Foothill. The demo gardens out on the street. They would build stuff that didn't exist. Yeah. Foothill, you know, for, Mosin was good. But Mosin was ex- exceptionally good at attracting um, talented uh, young people to work for him uh, who were very innovative. Because you know, we were making this stuff up at the time. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, it was like a lot of people thought that hydroponics would feed the world. So all this effort was put into all the different kinds of gardens. How are you going to deliver the water? Aeroponic, deep water, NFT, uh, flood, media-based, you know, no media, whatever you got. Fog aeroponics, spray aeroponics you name it, uh, like that, which is kind of like the history of general hydroponics. General hydroponics and even Botanicare did all their work trying to make the ultimate hydroponic garden Yep. Um, that you would just pl- you just drop plants into and everything happened. Ultimately, both of them made all their money on nutrients because of the fact that in hydroponics, just about everything works. 
And Foothill was the perfect example of that because what did you see? You saw towers, you saw A-frames, you saw tubes, boxes, tanks, um, everything you can think of. Yeah. For any of your listeners who have ever been to Epcot Center in Orlando and been through the, uh, uh, the greenhouse there at the land, um, just like that, it was like 20, 20, 50 different kinds of hydro gardens. Uh, and, uh, and what Foothill Hydroponics did was gave you all of that that you could just stand next to any day uh, that you happen to have skateboarded over. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, and, and in the San Fernando Valley, everything grows so well, you know, outdoors, and um, yeah, he was... Oh, you're really lucky like that. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was... He was one of my customers. Yeah, you, you, he you, was... He, he, I was a distributor, and he bought my stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, that uh, guy... Fans, uh, filters, the whole thing. Yeah, he He's was... still there? You know, real... they're act, you know, they're actually closed. I think they closed Oh, did about, they? Oh, that's... I think they closed oh. about a year ago. I, I was driving through yeah. visiting stores COVID. in the valley, and uh, they were finally finally shut down. I mean, that, that place was about the size of my bedroom. So, you know, compared to the warehouse-style uh, places, they just yeah. couldn't, couldn't compete on scale. Yeah, but. it was tight. I, uh, I I would have done everything I could to preserve it uh, because it's just like so many mm-hmm. old Hollywood institutions. Uh, you know, it'll close, it'll go away, and then everybody will miss it for uh, what value it had. Yeah. If it could have been anything, that would have been an ideal place or one of one of several ideal places to have done like the uh, a museum of how it all happened because it was a museum of how it all happened. Truly, if there was stuff they built 40 years ago, it's still there. Yeah, yeah, I'll, and he would I'll, have I'll pic- he would have pictures of things that he did for like Hollywood uh, sets, like Star Trek, Star and, Trek, and stuff like that. Minority Report. Um, yeah. Yep, they yep. loved him for all that, all that Philip K. Dick stuff. You know it. Um, yeah, was just awesome for that. Yeah. I, very, uh, very. You said you got a good Kurt story. Uh, you know you. You you probably have a bunch of good Kurt stories and. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, Kurt Rieger is the president of High Caliper Growing, uh, which makes uh, Smart Pot Fabric Planters. And Kurt is just, he's an amazing guy. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, and, 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 and you've known him for like 30 years. So do you have any good Kurt stories? Oh, oh, I do. And, and I won't embarrass him because he knows it's the absolute truth. Um, you know, Kurt's another one of those people who really um, saw a, a future in a product um, that nobody else did um, necessarily, including most of the industry he worked in, uh, which is really too bad. Uh, you know, and it's tough. It took so much faith, and I give all, so much credit to his family and his wife, uh, you know, for sticking behind him and carrying it all forward. Uh, but, uh, I'll uh, I'll take all your listeners back to um, uh, Kurt back in um, back in the '90s, really late '80s. Okay, um, incidentally, to anybody who hasn't haven't met him, uh, he's kind of a nerd, um, though we all are, right? <laughs> um, we're we're um, we're a bit uh, nerdy in this industry. Most of us who are a bit on the techie side. That's it. That's it. And some of them, you know, are really like 
their way in degree and he falls into that uh and good on him because it uh the that every that all this fortune has turned back to him you know um uh you know the the, the arc of justice is long um but uh but here's me and kurt so i went to a uh, i i was going doing horticulture at the university of florida i was already doing tissue culture at this point uh in the uh in the laboratory over there um and had gone on and actually been hired from the college without asking uh, necessarily by a large tissue culture company in, uh, in, in Apopka near Orlando uh, called uh, AgriStarts. So they were just looking for someone to do the special project. Anyway, in the course of me um, uh, learning and managing uh, this, this division of the tissue culture company, uh, we went to the big horticulture trade show, the floral uh, foliage uh, hort show called FNATS. I don't even remember what it stood for down in Miami. So I go down there for FNATS and we walk in this amazing trade show and of course I'm eating it up because here's big greenhouse irrigation lighting so on like that from the hort industry and my whole thing was always trying to take hort and put it in a bedroom. Right. So you know that was really that was my goal for 20 years and sure enough and here's high caliper growing and he's got the big tree pots over there and he's hanging out in the booth on his own and it's just a 10 by 10 uh, with the simplest little stuff, but the things that he has hanging on the wall when you go to the office were what was on the table. You know, it was all about tires and petroleum product, uh, you know, because uh, he was recycling. You know, this stuff was all being made from, uh, you know, recycled petroleum products, uh, you know, that were safe for plants. And it, we started talking, I was like, oh my God, in the course of me going to school at UF, I had pretty much worked in every nursery. That's how I ended up at Lowe's. I'd worked in every retail nursery, and I had worked at the Gainesville Tree Farm, right? And we had put plants in the in these tree pots, and and, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic because we had these big, gorgeous trees uh, that you, you'd ordinarily have to wrap in burlap or would have to dig out of the earth with a uh, a, a crazy giant spade uh, and everything like that. But the smart pot plants were perfectly all self-contained with their own little irrigation on them, truly exactly what they would become in cannabis. Did not see it. This, I cannot, I cannot believe that it was right in front of me all this time. But uh, I'm talking to Kurt and I was like, oh, this is great. I use your pots. I work for Randy at um, the Gainesville Tree Farm. And he was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, we sell them all the time. And we were talking about trees and the whole thing like that. And, you know, he's just happy as a clam because, you know, here's somebody who uses the product and I'm, I'm, I'm like 24 and I'm super enthusiastic uh, about all of it. Um, and, uh, but of course, I didn't tell him anything about my uh, side project growing cannabis. Um, and, you know, and he wasn't thinking anything but trees because he was still big pot guy. Uh, and so anyway, that might have been the last time I ever saw Kurt unless I went to another finance. And, um, and then probably, what was it, maybe 2006 or seven or something like that, maybe 2008, uh, was when Dustin Frazier um, called him up, you know, out of Covalo, uh, California, and was like, hey, I really, I really like your pots. I want to buy more of them because uh, he was starting to create the whole cannabis tree uh, technique. Um, using the pots, mm -hmm. and of course we saw where everything went after that. It, it, it was exactly what it's supposed to be. I mean, it was exactly what we did with trees. When I saw Dustin's trees and what he was doing with the pots, uh, I just kicked myself because I was like, I can't freaking believe it that I had a 15-year head start 
had all the background knowledge and it just didn't occur to me. And, and of course, you know, um, to, uh, to just make the pot smaller and so that you could use them inside or for whatever purpose mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, not only did I have the previous experience with the product and, and loved it from the 80s, uh, but that, uh, you know, I just hadn't applied it to what we were doing inside and knew immediately when I saw it. I mean, it was a zero uh, moment um, realization where it was like, that's it. And I forever changed afterwards. And I am the biggest smart pot fan and always will be. Yeah, I, I, I'm the biggest Kurt. I'm the biggest Kurt fan. And it's always will be also. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, smart pots. Well, I guess smart pots as a retail product is much newer than, you know, the tree bag, uh, you know, for the tree farming industry, certainly. But, you know, even still, smart pots have been around for a long time and so many growers, you know, cannabis or traditional, you know, tomatoes, peppers have never heard of smart pots or fabric pots in general. So Mm -hmm. it's 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 cool that we, you know, we've been around for decades, but we still have many more uh, minds to change. Uh, and to convert them over from their plastic and clay pots o- over to smart pots. So, yeah. did Kurt recognize yeah. you when, when you saw him uh, oh. later on? As soon as I mentioned Finance Miami 1991, he just, uh, his face lit up. Yeah. 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 You know, because you, you, when you're not busy like that, you don't have that many people to, to, to confuse. And besides, I mentioned the tree farm immediately. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I, you know, I met you here. I was doing the, uh, I was with AgriStarts, but had worked with, uh, worked at the Gainesville Tree Farm, and he was like, "There you go." Yeah. And we were immediately on. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. It was hilarious. The, it was hilarious. The the, the biggest SmartPod <laughs> fans definitely are people who have like seen them in action, you know, personally. You know, you worked at a tree farm, you saw that they work, and. You know, otherwise people are maybe a little bit skeptical, like, oh, how can a fabric pot be that much better? But, you know, until you see, I always say the proof is in the pudding and smart pots grow a hell of a plant, that's for sure. <laughs> it really is. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's going to depend on the grower, the plant, and uh, the medium and the watering system. You know, uh, those, all, those all play together, but, uh, you know, done well. And you've got lots of choices. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's always it's always saved me a, a, a ton of media lifting, labor, storage, uh, etc. Because um, you know, I it, it was immediately um, uh, put it into place in uh, all of my flowering areas because you could give it the maximum amount of um, uh, of, of rooting space. Uh, you know, given a choice media because it's all going to be you know how much flow through do you want? How what's your water retention? What is your uh, what is your uh, nutrient retention, uh, and you know versus oxygenation, and uh, setting up something that kept it just right. And, and it's amazing how cannabis goes, uh, because I often was really afraid of having, uh, you know, um, too much moisture on the garden, but that was not really the case. It was like, you know, rebuild the media so it passes through, and you can almost have like a constant drip, you know, and the plant will use it. Uh, as long as the uh, as long as the salts aren't accumulating uh, in any one zone or part or element, um, and uh, also so that it's you know that it's not wasteful of, of, of water and resources. Yeah, and, yeah. You know that's where that and that's where you know your room determines it because where you set your uh, 
your humidity and your temperature. Uh, VPN? Vapor pressure density. VPD. Or, yeah, VPD. VPN. VPD. VPD. Yeah, so the VPD, you know, there you go. Uh, your room has a VPD in the environment of the foliage, but it also has a VPD in the environment of the pot, which is where your product comes in, right? Yeah. Because your product is a transpiration surface. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to breathe off water vapor. And so it's kind of interesting. You put all those things together, but you know it, it works in, um, and uh, and a, with more control, uh, it is it is really amazing. I mean, uh, as as an industry, uh, into a growing in particular, um, the, uh, the 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 lettuce and herb houses that they're building with the uh, robotics, um, uh, particularly around New Jersey, mm-hmm. I've seen. But now we have them in the uh, uh, in South San Francisco. Uh, that is really that is really the future that I've been looking for for all this time. It's going to be we, we've got a variety of hydroponic systems, uh, like we were discussing before. You can do a lot of things, but it's going to be uh, what is particularly ba- uh, beneficial to the plant and the grow environment uh, in that location, and that's going to be whatever uh, allows more robotics. And in the case of those the, the best gardens we have now, they are they are planted, managed harvested, recleaned, replanted all robotically. Yeah, that's amazing. They built it around what the robot can do the best. Yeah, yes. that's that's crazy. And it, and it makes yeah. sense, uh, you know, that that's going to be the way forward because uh, then you need, you know, you don't need as much space for humans to, you know, get up and down aisles. You know, you could have those uh, rows closer together and, and just increasing efficiencies and yeah, I, I've I've been hearing about you know robotic based like lettuce you know factories and stuff for I don't know at least a decade, but it kind of seems like you know finally the uh, technology and the cost is starting to you know equal out to where that's uh, what we're going to be seeing going forward. So yeah. future's here. Yeah. Take a take a lot of the miles off of that product. Yeah. Uh, and the transportation costs, <clears throat> you know, and of course, you know, that's what I always look at. That's always going to give you a picture of the future of cannabis. Um, you know, will be something like that. Uh, it, the, the costs have to come down uh, and the costs are going down significantly. I mean, sometimes we move it to another country where labor is cheaper. Uh, you know, uh, regulation is, is decreased. I am a, I do support regulation, uh, you know, in that it kind of tames the assholes. Uh, but it shouldn't, um, uh, you know, really hurt the small guys uh, to get up, you know. And usually the big assholes hide behind the small guys, <laughs> so uh, you know that's that's their protective cover. Um, but uh, you know, we want we want opportunities so that everybody can, uh, you know, make good, healthy, sustainable living. Yeah. So I guess um, you know I'll I'll kind of <laughs> so to maybe put a little bow on on this interview. Um, you know, how, how do you see the current state of, you know, cannabis in, um, you know, I guess especially California, but, you know, then going forward? Uh, what's great is, I mean, we're <clears throat> we're at a rocket's trajectory. Uh, still, we've got more states coming on. The states are opening up. Um, I mean, ultimately, across the nation, we still have more market uh, to reach than there is product to supply them. Uh, obviously, our barriers are today um, state borders. Um, uh, we have uh, in the um, coming up our different uh, federal regulations that will be changing uh, to uh, ultimately be leading to state-to-state trade 
and inter in, in, uh, international trade. Yeah. That's that's where I look at this as a bigger picture. It's coming. It's good news for some, bad news for others. Uh, interesting enough, because I know the, the lobbyists um, in Sacramento and, and also in D.C., is it is large cannabis companies who are lobbying against federal legalization because their money comes from keeping states locked up, uh, you know, in, in controlled... Uh, controlled markets yeah. like that. And they've got large investments in those controlled markets. Yeah. Uh, really, once you open it up to, inter to state to state, um, you know, there'll be there'll be some changes in the market and it's for everybody to be prepared. Uh, look at New York, for instance. Um, uh, they, uh, they, they, they've just gotten into recreational and that'll start to supply their market over there. Well, when it goes in, uh, when we have interstate trade, how much of that will continue to come from, you know, Long Island and upstate New York uh, you know, um, in those areas, as opposed to like Oklahoma, where it's you've got really cheap indoor gardening because they got cheap energy and land and labor, uh, or California, where the species uh, originate. So uh, you'll have a lot of that. And I'm looking at the out of country trade because you know ultimately can't I, I see cannabis following the model of uh, wine in particular um, because it's controlled it's controlled beverage, adults only. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it can be boutique, um, you know, or it can be trash. You can buy the cheap version or the nice version. Uh, it encourages tourism and it, uh, it has an inspiring history. Um, you know, there's, it, I see the, the, the future of the, the small grower, which is really always where my heart is. Um, as a, uh, a retail store owner and distributor and everything, I, I made a commitment. I made promises to thousands of growers that if they bought these equipment equipment took the risks that we're talking about and especially the old guys um you know but even small new growers today uh that there is going to be a, a reward there um you know a, a a reward for their uh for their for their labor and their effort and their love and uh that will be uh, hopefully similar to uh small wine producers in that you can grow something small you can sell it online um, you know, that you, uh, you, you'll create fans that will, you know, receive, uh, your cannabis every week or month or anything like that. Uh, and they can come visit the farm, um, when they're in town. Mm -hmm. yeah. And incidentally, California has established a cannabis tourism industry. We've got, we just established a cannabis trail, uh, from, um, uh, uh, Monterey all the way up to, uh, um, all the way up to the state line. And, um, uh, and, uh, and, a, and a wine and weed industry that's uh, about four and a half years old. So we've, we've started to combine these things so we can learn from each other because we have a lot of the same tourists. Yep. And incidentally, part of what I was doing in Colombia was um, tying together uh, wine, uh, cannabis tourism uh, to, uh, to what we're doing in California because they have the same thing. People going to uh, the beaches of Colombia or the mountains of Medellin um, to go enjoy nature, ecotourism, and, uh, and, and, and smoke products that were uh, actually somewhat, you know, that, that the, the, the country is proud of. So today, Colombia is proud of the cannabis they produced in the past, not the stuff that made crime, but the stuff that uh, was really, that was high quality and um, a, a, a product of grower care. So do they still have like uh, those and, and, old and land race uh, strains um, down there? They're pulling them out. They're pulling them out. So, uh, you know, the, the effort of like the last uh, 
10, 15 years or so have been to uh, you know, make sure that uh, the best of the best is being preserved. And at the same time, there's the pressure to uh, try to uh, you know, create products to the taste of the new market who want the gelatos, Gorilla Glues, Runts, um, all the fruits, uh, and so on like that. They are seeing the exact same thing that we see here. Uh, you know, cheeses from uh, the UK, all the Spanish stuff, um, and trying to breed that in because, of course, they're equatorial. So they're, you know, they're, their stuff wants to flower on day one. Sure. Their sun goes from 11 and a half hours to 12 and a half hours over the course of a year. Um, so it's going to be supplemental lighting. They're doing greenhouses, mostly open, uh, so the air can get through. They just need to keep the rain off of the, off of the flower, um, you know, uh, as the flowers are set. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's kind of a challenge too. Will be mold resistant strains, um, but uh, you know, big pictures are, uh, I, you know, just like wine and beer, you're going to have your uh, your Coors and Bushes and Millers, um, and Gallows and and the big cheap shit. Uh, most of the time, when you buy pen products and so on like that, you're not really going to care for where it came from. Uh, and then there'll be big companies that fake it uh, and will sell you really good strains, but that they're producing in you know uh, on massive scales using um, you know really uh, uh, you know kind of relatively rough uh, uh, equipment mm -hmm. as opposed to boutique growers. Uh, but there's also so much more market out there. So the other part about it is how do we get cannabis to uh, um, to the people who don't yet consume it? And we did that with CBD because yep. we were able to increase the market to cannabis products you, with CBD products by by you know uh, by several times by exponential yeah. factors. Uh, and and will those same people appreciate THC and how? And that's one of the things we're learning from the tourists coming to the Bay Area in particular. And that is they arrive. They want to do some cannabis tourism along with their wine tourism or exclusively cannabis tourism. Uh, and there is an effort here to create a program, uh, particularly among bud tenders, um, to uh, get these, to kind of ease these guys into the experience. Because in the past, they've, for instance, given them, uh, you know, a 300 milligram bar of chocolate and sent them home. And, you know, like they weren't expecting to give this person bed spins uh, right away. You know, it's like, no, you can only eat half a square. No. You know, it individually wrapped, you know, five and 10 milligram doses, uh, you know, and it'll be like ease into it or, or you know, or the, the sticks have been really nice, you know, a little smoke stick for the ones who are not afraid to smoke something. Because, you know, you've got people who are past smokers or, or never smoked in their life and don't want to because they're 60 years old or older, uh, but they do want to experience cannabis again. And uh, uh, so that it'll be to try to try to provide products to, to that market, yeah. uh, you know, your parents, yeah. my parents, what gets cannabis to them besides me putting it in their brownies and sneaking it on them every so <laughs> Well, my, my dad, ah, gotcha. my dad partakes and I, I feel like my mom, she's, she's pretty close. <laughs> one of, one of yeah. these days. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, the alcohol industry, you know, beer, uh, you know, craft beer, I think, you know, you've got your Miller Coors, but then you've got your local, you know, regional breweries and, and they're thriving and doing well. And I hope that's how cannabis ultimately ends up. And, and really everybody should be able to grow their own too. Um, you know, not everybody's going to want to, or, you know, have the time, the space or the expertise to do it. But 
you know, as long as that, you know, no one's going to jail for it, I'll be happy at that point. Yeah. Um, but that's it. You know, everybody should do, everybody should do what they love, uh, you know, and fits in their kind of natural environment, and it and try to steer their environment towards the natural. You know, use gravity. You know, let, uh, you know, don't 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 work uphill, work down. Yeah, work work with nature, uh, right? Um, and do. Yeah, yeah. You know, do for yourself, and uh, and enjoy it, and then it'll be like, oh, you know, this is this is working extra well. Let's share this with others. Uh huh. Yeah, I there. I've heard a saying like you, you never get higher than on your own supply. You know, just like the the satisfaction that comes with you know sampling, and, and really that could go for tomatoes and, and peppers and any anything you grow your own. It's always going to be better. It's right. better tasting, and then it gives you That's that right. you know, yay, I did it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, I just every, one of the things about growing is any of those things, uh, is that it should always lead you into more and more growing um, uh, for that exact reason. Produce more and more your own stuff. Uh, you know, you're going to be producing plants. Eat plants. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, we can do all of, we, we, we can do everything from them. I mean, that'll, long term, long future arc, because this is what I do. I mean, we're doing today stuff that I was, I was genuinely talking about and predicting in the 80s. You know, uh, it, one of the really wild things is people who uh, I'm not sure if I put it on the LinkedIn page, but it's on my Facebook. Is you can see me 1982. I'm sitting in front of my science fair project, and it is uh, hydroponics versus soil and sunshine versus artificial light. Nice. 15 years old. Nice. That was my science fair project, and it was because I knew that what we were doing then was not the future. That you know what I was doing in that research was going towards the future and all this stuff is going that way yeah. eat plants live plants uh wet your plants. <laughs> you know people either love or hate uh, this and shirt really and uh you know it, that's that's what we're all about is we just want to get people talking about plants right <laughs> and and i should have worn one of mine i'm usually the advertiser uh today we uh today it's cutting edge um who also was in columbia by the way so it was pretty much me, John from Cutting Edge, Aryan uh, from Strain Hunters nice. uh, was there. It just happened to be the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary of his uh, uh, tour through the Santa Marta Mountains, his uh, his epic adventure, which they recorded for Vice, uh, a lot of people saw. Um, and the other cool part about that was uh, when he made that trip to Santa Marta, he was carrying tubes of special travel tissue culture that I had made for him, which actually ended up being the foundation of the tissue ponics we were talking about. So I actually created it as a mobile kit for his collector, Franco, bless right. his heart, uh, to use uh, in, in his uh, in his wilderness collection efforts. Uh, and he did, somewhat successfully. Nice. Uh, but, you know, that was it. Necessity, mother invention. Uh, but I was like, I made these for you, delivered them to them. They took them to Columbia. There they were on the video. Uh, Ten years later, I'm in the same location with some of the same people. Uh, and we can see the stuff. You, you, could, you could see the bottles in his hand, but he never said anything about them. But I could. I was like, stop. Because <laughs> it was on YouTube. Product <laughs> I was like, look, right there. You could see them. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, then Aryan showed up a couple hours later and was like, oh, yeah, you gave me those, didn't you? And I was like, Yeah. 
so it was really cool to see him and his efforts. And of course, for anybody who goes to Amsterdam, all the Bulldogs uh, got totally revamped over COVID. So when they were shut down, uh, he, he went in there and, and they, they just, he took all the unemployed uh, staff and they rebuilt all the Bulldogs. So he kept all of his employees uh, working, doing remodels. Oh, way cool. Um, so a shout out to uh, Bulldog Bulldog Coffee Shops in uh, Rotterdam, Utrecht, Amsterdam, and The Hague. Yeah, I've only been to um, his his one shop uh, over in uh, in Amsterdam, and that was, boy, 2007 was like On the like canal, Red Light District? Pardon? Wow. Yeah. Uh, on the canal, Red Light District? Yes. I know where you yes. are. Well, it went in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And you went there just for the coffee shop. You did not, yeah, you didn't wander down any of those other alleys. You were a good guy. You were a good Well, boy. you know, look but don't touch is uh, my motto. <laughs> That's it. It's like an aqua- it, it's like an aquarium store, uh, except the aquariums are all red, and, the, and it's not just, it's not fish. <laughs> Just avoid the blue lights. Uh, that's that's what I was mainly yeah. told over there. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess on that note, uh, boy, we I kind of feel like we I'll could chat forever. And I was just looking at the time, and we've been going for an hour and a half. I feel like we might have to break this up into two Sorry episodes uh, when we post it. But uh, or, I or six and ten. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely. Um, you know, I feel like there's more stories uh, to be told. You know, more information to pass on, and that's what we're all about uh, with the growing revolution. So. Um, Bill, on that note, I, I wanted to thank you for your time. I didn't want to take up your, your whole day, but you've been really gracious to, you know, share these stories with us. And, um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm really I'm really appreciative of, of learning, you know, more about the history of our industry that I personally love. I think the hydro industry... Uh, the lawn and garden industry is is really the best industry to be in with all the best people. So uh, on that note, thank you for your time and and thank you for you know being a pioneer in the industry. My pleasure, my pleasure. Really, thank you for reaching out and uh, uh, pursuing me.